All right, Genesis chapter 14 is where we're headed. This morning we're going to be looking at another important aspect of the Christian life, the activity of outreach. What we've found so far is that a man who is devoted to God is going to be full of God. He's going to be full of the faith that God supplies. And because of that, our God is going to want to use that man to accomplish seemingly impossible spiritual work. As God sends that man then out into the world to impact lives and places and generations. And of course, we all want to be used by God in that way. I think that's obvious. We want our lives to have the kind of spiritual gravity that we see all over the pages of Scripture. And we've been seeing in these examples, uh, like in the book of Acts and, and really throughout the whole Bible. But of course, we understand that this kind of life that we're talking about, it can't just happen on its own. It can't just happen without our involvement or without our participation. Uh, We're called to outreach. We're called to reach out into the world and get working for the kingdom. Uh, That's what we're talking about this morning, and we're going to be looking at outreach in the context of Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham rescues Lot and his family and the people of Sodom from the captivity that they were in. Bible commentator W.H. Thomas has an interesting quote concerning this passage and this topic of outreach. He says this, he says, We generally associate godliness with the passive rather than the active virtues, but we must not forget the two sides of the Christian life. In Genesis 13, Abraham is seen manifesting passive virtues of unselfishness, humility, and the willingness to yield his rights. But in chapter 14, however, there is, uh, there is all the decision and initiative of the brave and fearless man. Courage is as real a Christian virtue as humility. And so, you know, as we look at these examples in these texts, we find that the Christian life is not just a devotion and worship. I think this is one of the great failures of the monastery throughout, you know, history, where guys got together and said, we want to just, you know, devote ourselves to the Lord, so we're going to recede from everyone, hide away on a hill, and just be in a, you know, a stone building for the rest of our lives. And unfortunately, the other part of the Christian life is to not just be devoted, not just worship, but to be sent out on mission to do God's work. You, can't, you don't have one without the other. And so let's get into our chapter. It, it's, it's a whole chapter, but we're going to skip a couple of portions for time's sake. Uh, and because we're going to look at this text in depth uh, pretty soon on Sunday mornings in our study in the life of Abraham. But starting in verse 1, we read this. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, uh, Chedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. Just, just as a pause, my guess is that the, the, they don't give the name of the king of Bela. Maybe his name was too hard for the, the guy. <laughs> you know what? You know, we're not even, but okay. So they're, they're starting a war there. Drop down to verse 8, and we'll skip some of the names and stuff. It says, The king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, the valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and, some, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, 
For he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshol and, the, and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and, he, and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Cherdor-Leomer, the kings who were with him. Down, Drop down to 21 now. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Except only what the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. This is a really great chapter for understanding not only our place in this wicked world, but also how we should do ministry, how we're to reach out and do the Lord's work. The picture we're given here in the setting is that of a war zone. All of these kings and all of these armies, they gather together for battle. And all of the people in the region, Lot and his family included, were just caught in between. And we see those people um, hurt and taken captive and carried off um, by these worldly forces. But then we see the man of God going out on this rescue mission. We see a, a picture of how we can not only reach out to our struggling brothers in Christ, who's example to us by Lot, you know, a guy who's struggling and needs some help. But we also see how you can outreach to unbelievers who are lost, who are the collateral damage of this world, held captive by the devil. There, that's exampled by the other people. You know, the king of Sodom comes to him and he says, hey, give me, the, give me the people of Sodom back. And so there are more people here than just Lot and his family. Uh, now, this situation was obviously very serious. I mean, really serious. Uh, any misstep along the way would have been catastrophic, not only for the captives who were, you know, being carried away to some other place, but for Abraham and his men as well, who were laying down their own lives for these people. I mean, they were taking their own lives in their hand uh, for these people. And we have to understand how high the stakes are when we're talking about spiritual and eternal destinies. When we're talking about the, the kind of work that God wants us to do and the kind of calling we have and the kind of war zone that we're facing out there in the spiritual realm, the stakes are pretty high. Uh, when we're talking about people's lives and their struggles and that, the adversaries that we face, the battle before us is one that we're called to, one we're equipped for by God, but one that can be catastrophic if we're not doing what we need to do. Um, but the good news is that when we look at the Bible, when we look at a chapter like this or other passages which explain or example outreach to us, we find the secret of God's success, and, and that is love. That is his agape love. It, it is a unique uh, agape love, and that is the method and the mission that we are to undertake. In the love chapter, where this word is detailed pretty you know, uh, potently for us, 1 Corinthians 13, we see how we're supposed to carry out this agape thing, how, how it looks and, and, and how it works in our lives, how our lives can be governed by this unique heavenly principle. Now, best of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see that in verse 8 it says, Love never fails. And that's really interesting. So if we're loving the Lord and if we're following God's plan for this mission that he's sending us on and if we're loving people the way he's called us to love people, 
then the Lord's strength is going to be with us even when the odds or the situation seem impossible. That's a, that's a big phrase that, that God gives us in his word. Love never fails. He says, man, if you do this, you're, you're not going to fail. You're, you're going to go with my strength. You're going to go with my equipping. And that's what he wants us to do. In Genesis 14, I think Abraham embodies what it means to do outreach. And he embodies really Romans 8.31, which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, this is a great practical example for us. And it's because of the love of God that was within him. In fact, if you compare Genesis 14 with 1 Corinthians 13 and sort of just pair it up, you see exactly how we can be men who can be used for outreach and rescue on behalf of the Lord if we're men who live by this unique principle of God's love. First, we learn in 1 Corinthians 13.4, and we know this list, but love is patient. And we see that in Abraham. He was living there by the terebinth trees of Mamre. Uh, We learned this past Sunday in the life of Abraham how that location signified that Abraham was rich in communion with God. You know, he undoubtedly knew that there was tension in the region around him, in the region of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah between these empires and Canaan. He wasn't a dummy. He knew what was going on. I'm sure that he knew, saw his... His beloved nephew Lot and his family there, they, were, he, they had left and pitched their tents towards Sodom. In this text we see that Lot is living in Sodom. And so Abraham knew that. And I'm sure he, he, he knew that Lot had placed himself in a dangerous position. Uh, a place where there would be many enemies and, and many adversaries who were going to come and try to take that fertile land that had seemed so desirable. But instead of Abraham going out and trying to conquer all those kingdoms on his own to stop anything from happening or trying to force Lot or any of the other people into doing what he thought was better, Abraham waited and he spent his time in communion with God. He worshipped. On top of that, we learn in verse 14 that he spent his time training and equipping and arming 318 of his servants in his house. Uh, And that's a time-consuming thing. Abraham patiently prepared himself for what he may need to do. The Lord never came to him and said, hey, at this point, you know, Lot's going to be taken captive and you're going to need to rescue him. Abraham knew that he was in a land full of adversaries and full of opposition, full of people who were against the Lord. And so he spent his time preparing himself for whatever he might have to do, even when things were peaceful for him. You know, he wasn't involved in this fight. Nobody was concerned with his land or his possessions. He was outside of this uh, situation. But even when he was in a time of peace, he dedicated his household to preparation. And because of that preparation, when the moment of emergency arose, he was ready and equipped to be used by God for this incredible mission of mercy. Uh, Corinthians says love is kind. When the survivor came and told Abraham that Lot and his family had been captured, Abraham did not respond with, yeah, good riddance. That guy's a bum. He didn't say, yeah, I told him so. I told him not to go down there where everybody was going to rob him all the time. Instead, he showed compassion and kindness to the text as his brother. He says, man, when he heard his brother Lot had been taken captive, he got his posse together and got on the move. Despite the fact that previously their two households had had some tension or had that problem between their herdsmen. Uh, Abraham also displayed kindness in our text by saving the people of Sodom. He didn't even know those people. You know, the king of Sodom comes and he says, hey, man, keep all the stuff. Just give me my people back. And Abraham gives him everything back. But it's interesting Abraham didn't go and extract Lot and his family and leave the rest of the captives. He went and he got them all back. He risked his life for strangers and he didn't ask anything in return. He showed a real godly kindness here. Love does not envy. Uh, this war had been started over wealth and possessions. 
And even when Abraham was in control of all of that wealth and all of those possessions there towards the end of the text, he didn't envy it. He said, yeah, take it back. I don't want to have anything to do with this blood money. I don't want to have anything to do with this stuff. Uh, he didn't want to be entangled with this stuff. In fact, we, we have to skip it for time, but in this chapter, at one point he has that strange encounter with the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and, and Abraham even goes into his own pocket to tithe when that happened, you know, and, 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 and you see that he wasn't spending his life building an empire for himself. He had no envious materialism to speak of. He was God-oriented and focused on rescuing people who were perishing. Corinthians says, love does not boast and is not proud. Abraham really does very little speaking in this passage, even though he carries out an, a, a, an incredible exploit here. I mean, this is big stuff. This is kind of like hero stuff here. Instead, he carries himself with honor and duty and humility. He wasn't looking for accolades or promotion, even from the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, when he came there, he just said, hey, here's your, here's your stuff, here's your people. I'll see you later. You know, he, he wasn't looking for any of that stuff. His activity was altogether selfless, especially considering the fact that he didn't have to make this personal sacrifice at all. Yeah, you don't even really hear, you don't see the Lord saying, go rescue Lot. He says, man, that person needs rescuing. I'm going to go and I'm getting, because I'm prepared and I'm trained and I'm ready. So I'm going to go and do this because that is what I want to do. Love does not dishonor others. There's no lecture to Lot. There's no anger or resentment on the trip back. Even when Lot apparently moves back to Sodom after this incident. You know, what happens after this? Lot doesn't come and say, hey, you know, I don't want any more of this. I'm going to move back with you, Abe. He says, thanks for saving me. And he goes and moves back into Sodom. He goes right back to where he was. But there was no lecture. There's no anger. There's no resentment. In Abraham, there is a real care and a real compassion for these people who had been caught up in the war of the world. People who were without hope, but for him, the man of God. And then as we see other attributes listed in 1 Corinthians, we can keep thinking about this passage. They reinforce what we've already seen. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, and then probably the best summation is in 1 Corinthians thirteen seven. Let me read it to you. It says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then verse 8, love never Fails. That is God's plan for our mission in the world. As we are men of God who are filled up with God and, and equipped and given time to prepare ourselves and then sent out on a mission, that's God's plan. This is God's plan for outreach and, and for our activity. A moving, compassionate, focused love. A love that protects and brings hope and persists, even when it's under immense pressure. Um, I mean, we really see Abraham composing himself as a man of God here. Abraham lived this stuff out. It wasn't a passive thing at all. His devotion and his, his, his relationship with God wasn't passive. It was an activity. It was an action. Abraham reached out to people he didn't know. He reached out to people who had wronged him. He, you know, the herdsmen of Lot that had no, undoubtedly been carried away. He reached out to those people. People who didn't deserve him, his help. The Sodomites. He, he reached out to save them. And he laid down his own life and his own survival to rescue them and to bring them hope and to bring them help. And that's our example. And then the Bible's coming to us and saying, yeah, this is, this is what the man of God does. This is how the man of God lives his life in communion with God and then going out to uh, show mercy and to do rescue missions for people who are being carried away. Um, that's our example. This is our mission summed up in a few verses. And even though this scenario really seemed impossible, when you really stack up 
the situation. All these kings and all these armies and then Abraham and like 300 house servants. You know, it seems really impossible, but the text really treats this story as if it was no big deal. All these armies gathered together. There's this huge war. People are falling into tar pits and you know, burning up. And whole cities of people are being carried away. And there's this huge caravan going. And then Abraham and like his butlers, a couple hundred butlers go. And, and they overtake them. And they, just take, and they act like it's no big deal. It's just really treated very matter-of-factly and very, uh, very simply. Another Wednesday. Right. Yeah. It kind of just records it for us like here's what Abraham did today. But really, this was no small thing, and we know that. This was something amazing. But it's an example of the kind of spiritual impact that God wants you to make in your life today and in the lives of the people who are being carried away by this world around you. And so if we want to be the man of God that Abraham was, then we need to live the way that he lived. In his personal life, Abraham was in daily communion with the Lord. He spent his time preparing himself and his household for the possibility of going out on this kind of emergency mission. Uh, uh, he, he kept himself ready and equipped so that at a moment's notice they could move out. And when the time came, he lived sacrificially because it was the godly thing to do. He allowed compassion to influence his decision rather than what would be most convenient or most comfortable or most lucrative for himself. He acted wisely when he was planning this assault. He didn't just go and barge through everything and not think it through. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do, but we're going to pause and we're going to plan this out. We're going to divide our forces and we're going to attack from multiple uh, you know, uh, angles and things like that. He met his preparation that he had been doing for many years, no doubt, with planning because his foes were serious foes. They meant business and he meant business as well. And then perhaps most importantly, he persisted until the work was done. You know, scholars point out, and tells us, hey, they pursued him to Dan, and then they fought with him, and then they pursued those guys to Damascus. And this was 120 miles from home. That's how far he went. 120 miles on horse, or on, you know, maybe, probably on horse, maybe on foot, but he went 120 miles from home as he pursued those people who needed help. Uh, this isn't just a model of how we should do ministry, but it is. But it's a model of what our lives as individuals are supposed to be like, because godliness includes activity and includes that unique agape love that is always focused on others agape is focused on unconditionally loving others reaching out to them and rescuing them and revealing god to them and when all was said and done what did abraham do live like a king among these people that he you know had ministered to no he went back to the life he was already leading worshiping god keeping his house in order training his men for the next possible mission he didn't maneuver his way through this to gain something material from the people he was saving because the point was to rescue. The point was going out and showing mercy. The point was taking back what the world had carried away. And his satisfaction wasn't in wealth or wasn't in prominence, wasn't in accolades. His satisfaction was in God, the God of heaven. He said, man, this is the possessor of heaven and earth. That's who I care about. That's who I'm doing this for. Our lives are meant to have the touch of the impossible. Because our God loves to do things that magnify himself and make the world marvel. And he is determined to do those things through us. And so may we be men of devotion and faith and courage toward the God who has been those things for us. Amen? Amen. All right. Have an Abraham Wednesday. <laughs>